0: Evidence and Answers. Archaeological discoveries made public in recent years have given us new information about biblical events and people. There are important excavations taking place in the lands of the Bible. You won't want to miss today's interview. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on the show, Pat will be interviewing biblical archaeologist Dr. Edwin Yamauchi. Here with part one of this interview is our host. Pat Zuckren.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers where we provide evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to today's challenges. Well, today we'll be looking at the fascinating world of biblical archaeology and the Bible today. And our guest is one of the foremost authorities in biblical archaeology, Dr. Edwin Yamauchi. Dr. Yamauchi is now the Professor Emeritus, a longtime professor at Miami University of Ohio. He received his PhD from Brandeis University. He is the author of numerous books. I have several sitting on my shelf. include Greece and Babylon, Persia and the Bible, Archaeology of the New Testament Cities in Western Asia Minor, Harper's World of the New Testament, and Pre-Christian Gnosticism, and more. So it's a great privilege for us to have Dr. Yamauchi on the show with us today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yamauchi. Thank you. Well, Dr. Yamauchi, first tell us, how did you get interested in biblical archaeology from Hawaii, going all the way there to the uh, Midwest United States?
2: Well, I became a Christian in Hawaii as a teenager when I was 15, and I heard the gospel. Uh, I went to Yolani School, as you did. In 1952, my good friend uh, Dick Lum, his classmate invited me to Kalihi Union Church and I heard the gospel for the first time from one of the athletes in action from Taylor University. Then, on their first trip to the uh, Far East, and a retired English educator named Robert Hambrook eventually explained the way of salvation to me. I then went to work in a missionary farm in Oahu called the Christian Servicemen Center and went to Columbia Bible College, studied the Bible there for a year went to the University of Hawaii, studied a number of languages, uh, then studied Hebrew and Greek at a small Christian college in New Jersey called Shelton College, and then I uh, did all my graduate work at Brandeis University in Waltham, Massachusetts, where I studied under a very eminent uh, Jewish Old Testament scholar named Cyrus Gordon. So I was exposed to the ancient Near East. I also took a class under Benjamin Mazar, a uh, leading Israeli archaeologist, and I uh, served as a volunteer under him in his first season of excavations in Jerusalem in 1968. Uh, this was just after the 1967 war, and my wife and I and uh, son um, stayed in Jerusalem for five months, and I did some work there in Jerusalem and then uh, some volunteer work at a non-biblical site uh, called Tel north of the uh, Sea of Galilee. But I've always been interested in the background, so I'm, I'm more of an armchair archaeologist, not a uh, actual uh, supervisor of archaeology.
1: Well, Dr. Yamauchi, then, were you the first generation Christian? Were you the first Christian in the Yamauchi clan here in Hawaii?
2: More or less, yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, well, so uh, were many of us here in Hawaii, many of us Japanese-Americans coming from Buddhist backgrounds. Was that the background of your family, and how did they accept you becoming a Christian and getting into biblical academics?
2: Well, my father died when I was three in 1940, and he was an assistant in a... um, the Buddhist temple in Honolulu. We would go to the temple uh, maybe once a year. Uh, my mom worked as a maid. She really had no objections to my becoming a Christian. I'd gone to Iolani um, prior to my conversion. My relatives who ran the tofu factory in Ala Park uh, had helped sponsor me to Iolani and were disappointed when I seemingly left an academic career and was intending to become a missionary.
1: Well, my parents had a very similar response. My uncle was the president of the Hawaii Buddhist Association here and several of them also went to our alma mater, Iolani High School, so they were quite disappointed when I chose to go into the ministry. But overall, did they eventually come around and, and support your work?
2: Well. They they came to um, appreciate my achievements as an academic, uh, eventually, yes.
1: Outstanding. Well, you've done a lot of work in the study of archaeology and the Bible. What is the relationship between archaeology and the Bible?
2: Well, this has been an evolving relationship. Archaeology is a relatively recent science that started in the 19th century, and at first, uh, people were looking deliberately for evidence that supported the Bible, and sometimes that distorted uh, the research agenda. For example, trying to find the ruins of Jericho that Joshua took. Eventually, archaeology developed into more secular uh, science, but still, it was valuable indirect background evidence for the general authenticity and veracity of scriptures, and on occasion, uh, and there are quite a number of uh, some dramatic examples, it can directly bear on a particular event and illuminate it and confirm it.
1: Yes, you know, basically in biblical archaeology, there has been two camps, what was called the minimalist and the maximalist, uh, generally speaking. Could you explain the difference between these two?
2: Yes, uh, the Minimalists actually are represented by a relatively few scholars in England and and Denmark. But they take a very radical approach to, especially the Old Testament, uh, based uh, on two things. uh, A critical analysis of the literary composition uh, of these books, which they date very, very late, following the example of Julius Wellhausen, the first great critic of the Pentateuch in the 19th century. And secondly, they point to the absence of evidence for certain statements in, in the scripture. To give you an example, the minimalists have attacked the patriarchal narratives of, of Abraham. Two leading minimalists in, in that regard are John Van Cedars and Thomas Thompson, who has taught in, in Denmark. The attack uh, comments about Abraham being... Described as an Aramean, they uh, criticize the reference of camels in the narratives and so forth. Now, there is no defined group as a maximalist, but there are scholars who emphasize the positive aspects of Scripture and its relationship to archaeology and ancient texts. And these would uh, include the distinguished Egyptologist from England, Kenneth A. Kitchen, who's written a very wonderful book called The Reliability of the Old Testament, and Alan Millard of uh, the University of Liverpool, his colleague. These British scholars, evangelicals who are widely respected for their expertise in Egyptology and Assyriology, have used the evidence to support the reliability of especially the Old Testament.
1: Now, it seems like, you know, when I began studying biblical history in high school and in my career throughout college, it seemed like the only people I was able to read were the minimalists, those who were really skeptical about the historical accuracy of the Bible. They just seemed to dominate the academic field there. Is that correct?
2: Well, yes, in academia, in the Society of Biblical Literature, for example, there there has been uh, the dominance of those uh, scholars who have been trained at places like Harvard and Yale and who subscribe still to the JEDP theory, the Documentary Hypothesis of the Pentateuch, which which holds that uh, Moses had nothing to do with these documents that were written much later, centuries later, and therefore they don't hold any promise for accurate history, and the same with what is called Deuteronomic History, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Kings, and so forth, and now Joshua Judges. And they can point out discrepancies between what is stated in Scripture and what we know so far from archaeology and they uh, tend to hold the academic positions in secular universities and the leading liberal seminaries, and so they're the ones who have produced much of the in the books and have influenced the training of uh, seminarians. Now, there has been uh, a counter-trend, uh, hopefully in the last uh, decade or so, of uh, evangelicals who are well-trained and who are thoroughly conversant with the the original text and with archaeology, and they have provided positive evidence. For example, James K. Hoffmeyer of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Trinity National University, is a leading Egyptologist who has uh, produced two wonderfully uh, scholarly books on Israel in Egypt and Israel in ancient Sinai, um, both published by the Oxford University Press.
1: Wow, it's one of the most prestigious and respected publishing companies that are out there, yeah. Well, why is it that it seems like the minimalists seem to dominate the academic field?
2: Well, they attract a lot of media attention, just as the Jesus Seminar did a few years ago. Because of the radical claims and sensational claims, they attract the media attention, they attract publishing houses, uh, they sell books, but when you examine uh, some of their claims, they, they are uh, not without uh, solid evidence for their claims.
1: Now, how do you know ordinary lay people? How can they cross-examine the claims of these academics here?
2: Well, there there are, of course, academic journals that are published by evangelicals, such as the Near East Archaeological Society. I've been president of that organization They publish a, a bulletin with book reviews and um, also a newsletter called Artifacts. So one, uh, there's another more popular magazine called Bible and Spade, which also provides a conservative point of view.
1: Well, that's great information to know. Now, what has archaeology been able to confirm about the Bible?
2: Well, quite a few things. To give you one specific example, the biblical text in 2 Kings and Isaiah mentions the siege of Lachish by an Assyrian king called Sennacherib in 701 BC, and in this case we have a particular confluence of several lines of evidence. In addition to the biblical texts, we have the Assyrian inscriptions of Sennacherib. We also have wonderful reliefs from his palace in Nineveh that describe the scene in particular detail. And then archaeologists have uncovered many interesting material objects from the siege, excavations by um, David Osishkin, for example, who originally published a very important book on Lachish. We know from the biblical text, Isaiah, uh, for example, that although Hezekiah did surrender booty to Sennacherib, the city of Jerusalem was, was not captured, and that is confirmed by the Assyrian text
1: yes, is that the famous discovery of Sennacherib's prisms or yeah it's called prism?
2: the ta- Taylor prism mm-hmm.
1: yes, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little more, well, just off the top of your head, you know what percentage do you think? Archaeology has confirmed biblical events uh, that are recorded there in the Bible.
2: It varies from uh, time to time. For example, in the case of the stay of the Hebrews in Egypt, there's only one text called the Merneptah text that uh, mentions Israel, although some have claimed that there are some other earlier texts that mentioned uh, Israel. We have especially multiple instances of correlations with the biblical text when we get to the Assyrian, New Babylonian, and Persian periods, where specific kings of Israel, such as Ahab, are mentioned in the Assyrian text, and events of this nature are mentioned. One of the most spectacular recent discoveries was the so-called House of David inscription, which mentions David in particular, and he's the earliest biblical uh, figure to be mentioned in an extra-biblical text.
1: Well, what is unique about biblical archaeology compared to archaeology of other religions, such as Islam and Buddhism and other religions? What's unique about biblical archaeology?
2: Well, the biblical text is more grounded in history, in means uh, kings, and the uh, texts of relatively... Recent uh, origin is compared to the events, whereas in the case of Buddhism, there's a long period of time from the life of Gautama Buddha to the time when stories about him circulated, and even longer before they were written down, like about five, six centuries later. In the case of Islam, we do have the words of the Prophet Muhammad, that were written down in his lifetime so that is a very strong point for the religion of Islam. There are however interpretations of Islam which developed much later such as the tradition about his miraculous flight to Jerusalem from Mecca in one night It's called the Night Voyage and according to Islamic tradition he accomplished that on a winged horse now that Tradition is based on a particular surah of the Quran, which says, "Blessed is He who transported His servant by night from the uh, sacred mosque to the father's mosque and in al Masjid uh, al-Harami al-Masjid al-Aqsa." And later on, that phrase al-Aqsa was interpreted to mean the father's mosque, that is, the the silver dome building in the haram al sharif in Jerusalem. But that interpretation did not arise until about a century and a half after the time of, of Muhammad, in the Surat al-Rasul, which is the biography of the life of the Prophet.
1: Now, Nelson Gluick writes that there have been close to 25,000 discoveries in biblical archaeology that confirm biblical events and sites and civilizations. In your estimation, uh, is he right, and, and do we have more confirmation of biblical references from the archaeology today since his time?
2: Well, yes and no. That is, I've seen Dr. Gleck since I've used his Hebrew Union College library, and he was very positive in relying on uh, the Old Testament scriptures in his exploration of the Arava and the Trans Transjordan, and he made many discoveries uh, because of his reliance on, on scriptures. He was, however, wrong in some of his interpretations. Uh, for example, he identified a site, el Khalifa, in the Gulf of Aqaba, as a smeltery for Solomon. And so we have moved beyond some of his interpretations. I can't quantify the number of uh, confirmations, but... There have been, you know, every year some very interesting confirmations.
1: How should we respond when there appears to be a discovery that seems to go against the biblical text?
2: Well, uh, part of the response is that archaeology deals with fragments of evidence, and so, as uh, Kenneth Kitchen likes to say, the the absence of, of evidence is not necessarily negative evidence, that is, I point out in my book, The Stones and the Scriptures, that we have only a fraction of what has survived, a fraction of what has been surveyed, a fraction of what has been excavated, and a fraction of that which has been published. There are thousands of unpublished, cuneiform texts, for example, in the British Museum. And uh, one spectacular example of that is the uh, publication of the Outra epic by Alan Millard, which was uh, a text that was lying in the drawers of the British Museum, and this is a very important Babylonian epic that includes both creation and flood accounts, so that there are very few instances where you could positively prove that something is wrong in the Bible. Now, there are some cases where it seems, at least for the time being, that uh, the evidence uh, does not support the Bible. To give you one example, which I've already mentioned, the reference to camels in the story of the Patriarchs, like Abraham. For a long time, scholars believed that camels, and this includes William F. Albright, did not believe that camels were widely used in the time of the Patriarchs, which would be the 18th century B.C., and did not come into use uh, very prominently until maybe the 11th century. But we do have evidence now of um, camels, not necessarily from text, but from osteological evidence that is from the evidence of bones, the evidence of artistic uh, descriptions, which do indicate the possibility of camels at the time of Abraham.
1: I see. So what you're saying is sometimes just to be patient and to see what further develops as more research is done. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: What are the limits of archaeology?
2: Well, because there are so many different sites and it... uh, it's expensive to excavate a site completely, even well-known sites like Megiddo and Lachish and Gesser and so forth. It's only possible to realistically uh, excavate a fraction of, of, of that uh, tell or site. And even after you excavate it, it's possible that things did not survive let me give you one example of the small fraction of uh, written documents that survived. Jewish law mandates that for marriages, a written document be written, and also for divorce, a written document also be written. For the millennium, that is, the thousand years from 500 BC to 580, we have evidence, uh, and I've done a recent study of this for an article on marriage. Of only the following documents, marriage documents and divorce documents, we have only eight marriage documents and two divorce documents for 1,000 years. Now, if you calculate the numbers of all the Jews who were married in that period, you know that this is a very, very tiny fraction of the total numbers that must have existed in the beginning, or in antiquity, I should say.
1: I see. You know, there are many who say that really history and this whole world of archaeology really rests on the interpretation of the historian or the archaeologist. And so we really can't know history because one historian from his particular presuppositions or worldview will look at the evidence and interpret it one way, and someone else will come and look at the evidence and interpret it another way. So how do... You know, historians decide who's got the better argument, and can we really know history?
2: To take one example, the House of David inscription was celebrated as the confirmation of the important figure of David, but the minimalists tried to reinterpret that document so that the constants. Dalet, Vav, Dalet, meant some different word, but they were clearly in the wrong, and the vast majority of scholars, whether Christian or non-Christian, Jewish or agnostic, recognized that this inscription did belong to the history of the House of David. So there is a general consensus about the meaning of ancient documents, And those who try to deny the the consensus uh, are usually uh, extremists. Uh, For example, we've had extreme interpretations of the Dead Sea Scrolls and extreme interpretations of the ossuaries. Bone boxes discovered in in Jerusalem where one Jewish uh, television producer believes that this is the family tomb of, of Jesus.
1: But also as Christians, we need to be cautious if we hear something that seems to be too good to be true, you know, like we've discovered the Ark of the Covenant in a cave there under Golgotha, or the chariot wheels of Pharaoh at the bottom of the Red Sea. We should also approach that with caution, shouldn't we?
2: Yes, I totally agree with that.
1: So how do we discern when we hear things like that, whether this is a valid discovery or just sensationalism?
2: Again, I would be patient and wait to uh, read more comments on any particular discovery uh, before jumping to conclusions.
1: Yeah, that's a good point you make, because many pastors, you know, as soon as they hear a discovery like that, begin preaching it from the pulpit and goes on the Internet. And when it's discovered to be fraudulent or not exactly true, you know, we got egg all over our face here. So what you're saying about be patient is very wise advice. Now, has there been a discovery that has seriously challenged, you know, in all your studies, has, has you come across a discovery that has seriously challenged the historical reliability of the Bible? Not really. Well, and that's coming from a man who has spent decades here studying the archaeology of the Bible.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation to this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence & Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online. Our website is evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website. That's hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.